we're, we're doing up. it live. Yeah. Dallas wants to uh, introduce us. <laughs> oh my God, guys, we're halfway through the season. <laughs> and and uh, Micah and Kate. Hello. 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 Better yet, Eric. Here you go. Okay, we're thirty-five episodes into Game of Thrones in its entirety, and we finally have the answer. Going all the way back to episode one of Who Ooh. Killed John Aaron. Ooh. That was crazy. Can I just say that I'm glad that we have 35 hours so far and not three movies or two movies or yes. five or four. TV is a great so format for this show, as we said before. But Kate, I wanted to bring up something that you had just said about it being crazy. <laughs> I think crazy. <laughs> Good I think crazy describes a lot of Liza Aaron. Uh, I would like to apply that word to all the other aspects of her being in existence. Yeah, no kidding. I use that word on this show quite a bit. I've realized I should probably like, when I sometimes I re-listen to the Expand show to the see vocabulary. how you should stupid. save it for the really crazy people. You I know. Need a glossary. Well, that's the thing. I do. I think I might need a glossary because you guys will pull that up on the, on another window. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Lisa Lisa takes the crazy crown. Are you sure about Absolutely. that crazy crown? I do. I I do think she wins the 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 crazy throne. Okay. Well, I mean, tell me tell me if we've got anybody else. There's there are some crazy people. First of his name was full of crazies. Yes, first of his name was full of crazies. She takes the cake. Let's talk about this because this was a major revelation, right? Well, do we just jump right into it? Is that how we do it? I mean, are we, is everyone okay? Seatbelts buckled, I, I Micah? Think, I think we are. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm so you know what? Tell us. I'm <laughs> shocked that this was not more of a big deal because it's a big deal to me, bud. I'm glad it's a big deal to you <laughs> yeah. because I didn't see the reaction that I was expecting, and and I know it's kind of a smaller note in the grand scheme of things, but this is the entire driving point behind the series this is why we're here right now is because Baelish told batshit insane Lysa Aaron to poison her husband and to not only do that but to send a letter to her sister saying that she suspected it was the Lannisters Mm-hmm. The whole series was set into motion by Peter Bale. Is it wrong that I feel like our whole podcast is a lie? Yeah. Because when we started out- 215 episodes of lies. Yeah. Mike is like, oh, Baelish is a good player uh, in Game of Thrones. And we're like, this is going to be a fun podcast to do with you, Micah. And now Baelish <laughs> is the- I mean, we all assumed that he was, you know- that he was doing good things, and we all always knew that that Varys and himself were were powerful people. And I always, like, we we knew last week that Baelish did this with Joffrey. And can we can we say how impressive that already was? Right? Oh, very much. Like, yes, great. And what he's done with rising up from where he lived in the Fingers to becoming who he is now, Lord Baelish, getting mm-hmm. greeted at the Bloody Gate. Right? This is this. Oh. It's impressive. But Micah, when 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 you say that that this man began it all, that Quite possibly his ruminations of, oh, the Lannisters are so bad. They're trying to get you. They're trying to get you. Let's just start all these things happening. Ned, please help. It's all from this guy. Like, cue evil mm-hmm. music, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can now blame everything that has happened in the show on Baelish in some small part. Oh, man. It's masterful. Especially to the Starks because of Ned being asked to fill John Aaron's position as hand. So – 
that's that's just it. And my question kind of coming out of the episode was really what did Littlefinger offer Liza Aaron to kill her husband? What could she possibly have wanted that would make her do that? It's her husband. She loves him though. Look. She loves yeah. him. Yeah. Well, look, the coolest thing I think out of Liza Aaron is is the big impact that she made after being off for three seasons, right? She comes back in such a big, big way. She's absolutely crazy, but she's also so brilliant. She doesn't miss a trick. She knows that Baelish has crazy hots for Sansa for some reason. Um, and she calls uh, at least Sansa out on it in this episode. She's crazy but also astute in certain in all the worst ways mm-hmm. possible you you think that you could pull the the lid over her eyes um but apparently you can't and so she is just and a force that's going to be difficult to be really controlled or reckoned with Baelish is playing with fire um in marrying her i believe and and he always was because she's unstable to you know really manipulate her the way right. that he is I mean, if you think about it, he's orchestrated almost a perfect plan because he's married the one woman who sits up in the Erie and is so easily the most protected woman in possibly all the Seven Kingdoms. The Erie is impenetrable for all we know. Baelish, if anybody finds out any component of what he's been responsible for, he's safe. I mean, it's, it's... it's just such a masterful plan that he has orchestrated, and I go back. Zach, Are you all right, buddy? Everything, just, everything just is his fault. Just let it out, okay? That that moody music that you heard the second after Lysa was just very happily making out with his face and saying like, "Oh, I put the <laughs> oh, the, the poison in the drink," and my husband. Just after all of that, it just slowly crept, dawned. Everything happened all at once. It was like. This bastard is not just Peter Baelish from Game of Thrones, from A Song of Ice and Fire that we thought he was. Now at this point, he's Peter Baelish, the guy who did all of this shit. I know I've said that before, but let's let's let this sink in. He literally started this friction between the Lannisters and the Starks. Maybe not at the root, obviously not. But in a modern sense, turning into what all it has become, he was there every step of the way, including with Ned being at King's Landing, the stuff with this Kingsguard. The list really goes on, and it started with his manipulation of Lys Aaron, which is so full and complete, as we can see here, marrying her tonight. I have a uh, quote from my notes that I'd like to read here, please. Uh, it says, he is the fakest bastard ever, and and that's all. Um he, you notice how he didn't kiss her back until she started spilling all of his secrets. Yeah, he's and like, he, "Shut the fuck up!" <laughs> yeah, he kissed her trouble. to shut her up. She was. T- he's like, "You're telling the viewers everything. Yeah. Stop. Not even I'll know. stop you with my tongue." Yeah, mm-hmm. he absolutely just had. He's so dispassionate towards her. It's it's a little ridiculous, um, but in a really, he just he pulls it off. She's so blinded, I think, by her affection for him or her obsession with him, whichever it is, whichever you prefer to choose that she believes, I guess she must believe that he is faithful enough to marry. I don't know if she believes that. I mean, the guy owns a whorehouse. As soon as it's convenient for him to leave her, I think he will. I don't think that we're meant to think that this is a romantic relationship in any stretch of the imagination for any side. We're meant to think that Lysa is Lysa, as she's always been. And Baelish is very, very easily playing her this entire time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that one of the things that's really important about this relationship is that 
she sees her being able to marry Baelish as one-upping her sister. And that is very apparent in her conversation with Sansa. She talks very much about Kat. And I thought it was interesting that this episode, Kat kind of got a, a lot of love, um, albeit not in a very nice way, but she was brought up quite a bit. And it's clear that her sister never really thought very highly of her because of the relationships uh, that she was able uh, to get involved with. And she mentioned Brandon Stark, who was you know, Ned's brother, uh, who Catelyn was initially uh, you know, engaged to. Uh, and mm. then, of course, Baelish. Um, even though Catelyn was never really taken with Baelish, it seems like that's the way Lysa perceived it. You know, Catelyn could have had the great Peter Bellis, but she chose not to, you know. <laughs> and I, I actually thought for a minute that Sansa was in trouble in that scene because she's just sitting there eating her lemon cakes and who the hell knows with all the poison that Lysa has been responsible for in her life. Mm. Oh, that's that true. She didn't go ahead and poison Sansa. Isn't it ironic that George R. R. Martin made um, Lysa the one who really did it because when there's a murder don't cops usually go first towards the spouse I mean the spouse is the most obvious choice because she has the most unfettered access to him can I share with you my Peter Baelish and Varys theory please please before we move too far away from Peter and toward Lysa and Sansa which is a great scene I was thinking about this today I was thinking about how Varys is actually the one in the earlier season who meets with Illyrio to send Daenerys her dragon eggs. So you can extrapolate from that that he is in some way supporting Daenerys Targaryen's cause. Hold, please. When did when did Varys have anything to do with the dragon eggs? He meets with when Arya is in... She's chasing cats mm -hmm. in the first uh -huh. season. There's a scene where she eavesdrops on two people... They are with, uh, like hanging out with all the, the dragon skulls. Um, and it is Illyrio, who was Daenerys's caretaker at the time, and mm -hmm. Varys. And they are organizing the delivery of these dragon eggs, if I recall correctly. Just wow. I see. I, I didn't, I know who Illyrio is, obviously, but I didn't know that that was Illyrio. This changes everything. Right. So, uh, cause I was thinking about, I, I said a few episodes ago that I, one of my theories was that Peter's new friends that he mentions were the, were, mm -hmm. uh, Daenerys and her, her entourage, but I don't think that's true. I think that's Varys's territory. But then that got me thinking about the differences and the comparisons between Varys and Peter. And then I had this amazing revelation because I was thinking, well, maybe they're two sides of the same coin. And so that coin, what if that, uh, that, that reminded me of Arya's little coin? This, this, this takes some leaps, guys. Just, just, <laughs> okay. just stay with me. Okay. Kate but had her, a vision quest. Her coin, I did, I did. <laughs> um, but her coin says, uh, Valar Mar Morghulis mm -hmm. on it. All men must die. True. And then I had this revelation that if Valar Morghulis could apply to Peter, then Valar Dohiris, which means all men must serve, is what applies to Varys. And that means they are, there are two sides of that flip greeting. Oh, All that's interesting. Die. All men must serve. Yeah. Bearish, yeah that's some level nine stuff right there. I, I, I totally like that. I wonder if uh, neither of them can live while the other survives as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting though, because I mean, we learned that in the first book. Yeah. I, I really like that uh, point that Kate just brought up though, being the two, two sides of the same coin. Because Varys is all about serving. You know, he mm -hmm. mentions that so yeah. many times throughout the, the series. The realm. Yeah. Everything is for the good of the realm. Yeah. And 
if you go back all the way to season one, there these there is one, at least one, great scene where you have Varish Varish, I combine the two of them. Uh <laughs> Varys and Baelish in the throne room and they're just talking to each other and it's such a power conversation, uh, you know, as, as they stare up at the Iron Throne and you can't help but think this is something that only the TV show can do because you, you in the first book at least we know you don't see from either of their perspectives. So unless you happen to be a little fly on the wall and or chasing are a cat. overhearing <laughs> yeah what is being said that this is one of those opportunities that the TV show affords that the books just can't because that's just not the way that they were written. So these two are just unbelievable power players and for Baelish you know, we talked a couple episodes back that he just wants everything. And so I do think the all men must die is applicable to him because he doesn't care who gets in his way. Exactly. I think Varys is a little bit more tactical and he's less apt to kill. He'll only kill when necessary, not just to kill for killing's sake. I just realized that we've gone this entire way in the episode without really saying first of his name that happened and the entire thing was pretty insane right and we got to see mm-hmm. a whole lot but it just goes to show something that's so impactful i mean at least for us bringing game of owns the podcast to you i know that when this episode was happening i rewound it and was like digitally rewatching the part where lisa was talking to baelish and admitting what was happening because mm-hmm. i didn't see that coming at all. And this entire setup with Baelish, like I said it before, I know it's a little surprising, but for me, knowing all of this, it just makes the story that much richer and and gives us someone else to sort of think about. When he was walking toward the bloody gate with Sansa and that entire – I mean, it just felt like it is a new episode and it is a new part of the show. It just feels like Game of Thrones is really growing up and evolving into a completely different show. And that's a show that has Sansa at the veil. There was an interesting parallel there between the scene that was directly previous to that, which was Daenerys, who we haven't talked about yet. <laughs> um, and she she got her her ships from uh, from Dario yes. that she, she pretended like she didn't <laughs> he want. Heard that she heard that she liked did. them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, saw, I saw this great gift today where she like she's looking down. She's like... Damn, he's right. I fucking love ships. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So she decides she's going to stay in, in Westeros and rule, but they they make, you know, they they tell her 10,000 men on all of these ships, it might be enough to take King's Landing, but not enough to hold it. And then they go directly from that to Peter and Sansa approaching the Bloody Gate, and Peter uses that exact number. He says, uh this the when you have the uh, this uh, particular kind of he's he's giving her the the lowdown on why they have the the bloody gate, he's like one man can be as effective as ten thousand, and then he goes right through the gate, no problem, as though he is his <laughs> own army. I thought that was a really interesting parallel. They use the same number, so close together, as if like Peter Baelish doesn't need the Unsullied, doesn't need no ships. He's just gonna walk right through the bloody gate. I mean, that's essentially what he's done, right, this entire time. That whole metaphor there is basically saying if you know how to use your strengths well and to use them within the bounds of what is right, which he says is wisely, if you know how to use them wisely, you can be as effective as 10,000 men. So if you think about what he's done and all the shifts that he's caused personally, I'm going to go ahead and say 4.5 seasons worth of stuff. 
I think he's done the work of maybe 3,000 men so far. Can we say that? Mm-hmm. Sure. She's done the work of a lot. Yeah. Quite yeah. a few. One other thing to note is that she now goes by the name of Elaine Stone, right? She's so, no longer Sansa Stark. That could have been a little bit clearer yeah. um, about Stone, especially as a, as a surname. And why even introduce Sansa to Robin by saying, this is your uh, cousin Sansa, but don't call her that while <laughs> while she's, you know, just out and about. Why not just call her Elaine and have him know her as that? You know, it's like, it's Sansa, but only say that name when it's between us. But there are so many people lurking in the shadows all the time. Think of Locke and and lurking in on Sam and John, and, uh, John in the previous chapter. Like, the, he won't have the fortitude to judge when he's alone and is safe to call her Sansa. So I have a little issue with the whole Elaine thing, but I'm sure it was better in the books. Well, in the books, he was, I, I believe Sansa was portrayed as his bastard daughter. And in the show, they changed it to his niece. Bastard so niece. I don't, I don't know. What, is she a bastard niece? He never, I, I was trying to make sure and when I was watching, I was like, is she going to be a bastard again? Um, Cause I, I think in the book, Lysa used that as more snobbery over Sansa. Yeah. Stone being the uh, bastard's surname of the veil. Right. Which is awesome. But at the same time, yeah. Like what is, what exactly is the relationship there? And if Sansa's like undercover, I I think maybe that'll come to play later episodes. I mean, there are worse places to be and and have your identity discovered, though, because at the end of the day, they are up in the Eyrie. It's yeah. uh, it's somewhat of a toxic relationship, though. I would say for Sansa, because even though she's safe, <laughs> she's really not. She's really Lysa not. <laughs> is batshit crazy? Oh God, yes, so crazy. and. We saw that in their conversation. When Bellish is around, it's all lovey-dovey, right? But when <laughs> when she gets Sansa one-on-one, there was no reason to think she wasn't going to kill her right then and there. Well, doesn't she have cause to be alarmed? I mean, Baelish had three crates of lemons sent there from King's Landing just for Sansa because she likes the lemon pies. I'm going to send you three crates of lemons, man. How's that sound? Oh, you shouldn't have, <laughs> Zach. <laughs> I'll you have guys. garnish for my drinks for years to come. <laughs> it is Cinco after all. Oh, I think Cinco. Peter and um, and Lysa are both projecting Lady Catelyn onto Sansa, and it's very unfair yeah. that Sansa is having to bear the burden of what her mother did or didn't do in the past. But it doesn't matter because both of these crazy-ass people see Catelyn in Sansa and are taking out their, their past lusts and prejudices against her. That's really good analysis. I like that a lot. I do, too. Well, people keep talking about how Sansa's like going to flourish uh, soon, I hope, you know, really turn into the person who plays the game very well. And I'd like to see what sort of circumstances really allow her to stretch her legs a little bit more because she is kind of confined. I mean, we even saw the room where she sleeps and look, it just looks pretty small. Maybe all the rooms in the area are like that, but it, it, it did look a little, um, like she was being confined and is not really going to have a whole lot of power where she is. Um, and this is just guesses from, you know, the first sort of introduction to the Eerie that we saw. Have you guys thought about, uh, I mean, uh, Lady Catelyn's been dead for a while. Have Have you guys given any thought to the fact that Peter Baelish was in love with her and he might be super pissed off at the people who murdered her? No, yeah, yeah. I, I thought about that, but he, he's just not somebody who projects ag- like aggression. He doesn't, like, if he, if he gets angry, but you just, you, you almost never see it, right? I totally expect to hear in the background in the next couple episodes that somebody like, put like dropped a nuke on the the twins like i just 
I totally expect <laughs> nuclear weapons to have been invented in secret by the maesters over at uh, the Heron Hall or whatever <laughs> underground and that all of a sudden there are no more Freys. You know how many Freys there are all the time. Old Walder, okay. uh, Young Walder, Big Walder, Little Walder. Um, middle Walder. All of them just – all of Don't them forget just, Middle Walder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, middle Walder, yes. All of them just immolated somehow um, and it's Baelish is doing. I wouldn't be surprised. So yes, that's a very exciting possibility, I think, because a lot of the and the readers and the viewers would want that kind of revenge for <laughs> uh the Starks, for Catelyn, not just for Catelyn, but for Rob too, because he was king in the North, man, and now the North is all messed up yeah. as a result of his death. Everything's all messed so up. So yeah. if if Baelish can be the uh avenging angel here for <laughs> all of the Starks, that would be delicious. <laughs> can we just talk about what we're talking about? I want to talk about what we're talking about, <laughs> if that makes sense. Calm down, Kate. Yes. Zach, Zach, go for it. I want to talk about the fact that we're talking about Baelish. I mean, do you guys remember season one Baelish, like, puffing around beside Varys, like, getting slammed up against a whorehouse by Ned, and, like, she sticks her head out the window. Cat's like, Ned, let him go. He's my friend. I think of him like a brother. We're, we're talking about Baelish right now as someone who could drop a nuke on the phrase. I mean, just instantly, he's changed in the minds of so many people. It's just, to me, it's just, I agree with you, Micah. I I don't understand how this isn't more of a deal to, to the masses. Yeah. I think because it goes so fast in the show. It did. Mike, I actually want to bring it back to Micah because she she says it. She says, you know, I, I, I killed John. I killed my husband. And if it, that's that was over three years ago that we saw that happen, if we're watching chronologically. So, so I think most viewers were like, "Well, somebody, everybody's dying on the show. Who the hell knows who her husband is?" <laughs> right. But was he was he one of those seven bearded men they introduced in the last five minutes of this show? Right, exactly. Like- <laughs> Any of those guys died? Like, there's just so much death. There's so many characters. I think that if you're not paying very very close attention, you'd be like, "Oh yeah, he had her kill a, a dude." That's well, crazy. I don't know if that's an execution problem on behalf of of the show itself. It's it's tough to say because for me. I know the feeling of realizing that there is an overarching sort of puppeteer villain to a lot of this stuff. And it's all the same guy. To mm-hmm. me, it just makes it that much richer. If it's any consolation, this is exactly how it happens in the book. Oh, that's... It is, it is one It is one line of dialogue and she gets interrupted and they move on. I'm just oh, I'm stoked about okay. it. And I, uh, Micah, hats, uh, shoes, feet, coats off to you, man, for... Coats pants, off. Yeah. Pants off to you for sticking around <laughs> for this long. Uh, now pants you can leave off. the fucking show, man. So say right. bye to everybody. <laughs> but there, there are plenty more things to come. What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> Tell your father. I just hey. would want to um, just add one more thing. I thought it was somewhat... Interesting. I, I wouldn't call it symbolic because I, I don't necessarily know what it symbolizes just yet, but the fact that uh, little Robin took the mockingbird and threw it out of the moon door. <laughs> Did anybody else jerk. catch that? That yeah. little prick. Such a little shithead. I wanted them to show ba- Baelish's face to see if he cared. <laughs> right. I know, just, me too. Just, just, just to shoot him to see if, if he would smirk, how he would take it. Um, yeah, that was, was that it, was great. Wait, was it a mockingbird or was it a – I thought it was a dove. I thought like, it was it's a dove. It's the thing that you can balance on the end of your finger perfectly. It's, it's a turtle dove. <laughs> it was that thing. I have one and you have one. As long well, as we the... hold on to it, we'll be friends forever. <laughs> turtle I assumed doves. it was a, a falcon. The yeah, sigil the sigil, right, of yeah. of House Aaron. Mm-hmm. Oh, book readers. Well, <laughs> now that's symbolic. It had plumage. It was fake, but it was meant to be. It was like a crystal glass gift, and he threw it out of the cr- 
creaked open slightly moon door and we haven't we've said we've had much to say about other stuff and we we've hinted at other people so far on the podcast and we really haven't oh, yeah, talked there was about more much to else. the show right? yeah there was, there was <laughs> more to the show but before we move on uh blah 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 can i just say out loud that we were back in that room where braun fought for Tyrion for the first time and that was cool yeah especially That's having true. been uh you know kind of mentioned in a previous episode um by braun to jamie um, it's just bringing back the season one stuff and showing that it's still important. But it was it was done well, you know. It was done quickly, but done well, um, much like Lysa's screams. But it, <laughs> that was perfect. That that was just perfect. I mean, in all of the so mountains, so creepy, the mountain guys. folk, the mountain folk must be intimidated by her. Shaga is wondering what's going on uh, up in the Erie, but uh, wait. I don't, I don't even know where to take it from here. I, I know where to go from so there. I'm going to scream when I make love to my husband. Oh. Well, at least, unlike Sansa, they consummated their marriage, and they did it pretty quick. Don't be jealous, Sansa. You'll be a widow soon. That actress, right. I think I think her name is Kate Kate Dickey. What an incredible performance. Oh, She is yes. such a good Lysa. That face, that Holy first crap. smile when Baelish walked in. She was like, oh, oh boy. It was just all over the place, and that was the best thing about it, is that that character has such a range of emotions and a range of – she's dangerous, she's sweet, she's in it, she's vulnerable, she's all these things all at once, Mm -hmm. and it's just – it was really, again, just coming back from season one into the middle of season four now with such such an impact and – I really can't have any higher praise for for that actress. She was amazing. So going from the moaning mountains to old sweaty <laughs> balls, if we can, Meister Pycel climbing the stairs to pay his respects to Tommen, who is being sworn in. Um, and everybody, in fact, who is attending the swearing-in ceremony has to go up and kind of bow before him. Pledge your fealty, okay? Do mm-hmm. it. And he gets he gets his special secret moment with Marjorie. A few of them. And she she <laughs> smiles at him, and then Cersei just blocks the entire camera. What up, mom? <laughs> yeah, that was that was funny. That's some serious boner killer. Yeah, that was. I thought that was really funny. Cersei Cersei was interesting in this episode, you guys. Different. Cersei yeah. Cersei has been such a maniac in the last I don't know thirty five years of her life. <laughs> But in this episode, she – and I know she had an ulterior motive, but it was really interesting to watch her knock it out. Did anybody notice who she visited? What do you yes. mean? Who, who – I mean, who were the people that she visited? Very strategic. She was totally strategic. She she visited the not, – not directly in one case, but she was visiting all the judges in Tyrion's case and trying to oh. win them over. She visited Marjorie and offered to make her queen again, which is a backhanded way of getting at Mace. She visited Tywin and agreed to marry Loras, no problem. I'm going to marry him two weeks when she's previously thrown a hissy fit every single time he brings up the marriage. And then she visited Oberyn. And while she knows Oberyn thinks that her family had something to do with the death of his sister, um, she very sweetly tells him what a how much she misses her daughter. She wants to believe that everything's good with her and she's going to give her a ship um, as, a, as a birthday present. And... She loves she loves her daughter so much, and she just wants to be a great mom. And she's she's appealing to all three of these men 
in very strategic ways just because she she wants to see Mm -hmm. Tyrion hang again i'm floored i mean i was just all i wrote down for for that kate's on another level yeah cersei and marjorie uh i think that much has been clear since the first word uh that each of us shared but i i I, if i could just bow to you but also at the same time what i said about cersei in my notes was that she hate she's doing what she hates doing the most there's a line that she says uh speak to your father i'll speak to mine she has she 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 has vehemently um been against the notion of of the role of women in this kingdom. She complains about it all the time, how they are not given any agency, how they're just treated like possessions, how they, they're doing essentially what she's doing right now about having to speak to her father about arranged marriage, yep. you know, and all this other junk. And she hates that. She hates the kind of woman she's being right now and seeing her have to do it because she's trying to, as you say, Kate, appease the judges um, is, is very interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. she wants Tyrion out of the picture that badly. And at this point, it seems, I want to say like a broken record because it's not, it's really not, there's not much of that show, but every time she gets an opportunity to complain about, uh, Tyrion, she does. And it's, it's something like she's just not open to any other options that anybody else could have killed him. She really wants him dead. We're pretty sure of that by now, right? Mm -hmm. Oh Oh, yeah. Yeah. Without question. I mean, I think that damn. It's sad, though, in a way, because there really is no evidence at all that Tyrion is responsible for this. And, th- and that's the worst part. I mean, he's going to face a trial, but I'm interested to see what exactly the proof is that Tyrion had any responsibility in all this. Because so far, we've seen nothing. And it's just Cersei's word. And she seems set in her ways. But I I liked the conversation uh, that she had with Marjorie, and I think that in some ways she was being truthful uh, in in all of those conversations, actually. I think there was a bit of truth. I, I think she obviously does care very much for Marcella when she was talking with uh, Oberyn, uh, right. and she wants to ensure that she's safe, and she's lost Joffrey, and Marcella's her only daughter, and she feels as if her children are extremely susceptible given the positions that they're in. Um, and I think there was truth to Joffrey when she was talking with Marjorie, when she was saying that he would have been your nightmare. The things he did shocked me. I think I, I don't think there those were lies. I don't think she was just saying them just to kind of play the game and and you know play up the the potential to marry Tommen. Uh, I think she truly believed that about her son. But it's so weird how she can be so pro-Joffrey in one scene and against him in the other. I don't think that she was lying, Micah. I think you're totally correct. However, I do think that Cersei plays cards as she sees them being necessary. And in this case, she had the, the she had reason to say those things, to confide these things to Marjorie and to confess things to Oberyn. Um, and she has not, even if she believed those things in the past... She doesn't speak out against her family. Yeah, and in in doing these things, she's she's speaking out against Joffrey, um, and and so I think that she would, in other situations, just keep her mouth shut, or or actively defend. That's him. true. She approached Marjorie, and it wasn't to berate her or say, "Stop looking at my son." <laughs> you know, it wasn't to th- it wasn't to threaten her. She must be up to something. Furthermore, she, Marjorie fed her that load of bull. Actually, I haven't given it much thought, honestly, <laughs> to be a queen. I've only been sneaking into his bedroom. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Such yeah. BS. Such BS. And and I think Cersei knows it, but 
maybe there was even a shot of her like smirking for like half a second, but she totally like pretended to believe what Marjorie was telling her. You're right, Kate. She was up to something. Oh yeah. Yeah. How I I missed it. I don't know how I missed it. (laughs) Marjorie was definitely the more Cersei of the two of them in that scene. Actually, now that I'm reflecting on it, because Marjorie, she, she lied and she was doing the, like the, the acid tongue lady at court thing, especially at the end when she goes, I won't know whether to call you sister Oh, mother. There's such, and Cersei's oh, yeah. like biting her tongue. She's like, don't fucking say anything. Just let it go. Gotta like keep Marjorie, it cool. Marjorie knows what she's doing. I think we were usually, we're used to seeing Cersei, her mark of pride is so just, it's the, the flag is flown. She very rarely lets anything go. Her pride just really drives her. And a lot of these scenes in this episode, she bit that tongue and she didn't say the mm-hmm. things that she wanted to say. She was actually nice. And I guess if her being even slightly nice is her version of playing the game, it's an improvement, right? I mean, she's she's getting closer to her goal, probably. I think the hints were there, though. I, you know, Kate did a really amazing job of explaining exactly what Cersei was up to. But I could go back to that scene with Oberyn and Cersei because Oberyn's talking about his daughter and how one of them, one of his seven daughters, I think, right? He said eight daughters is named Elia after his sister. And there's that moment where he says, you know, when I think about it, it makes me very sad. But then that sadness turns to anger. And that's really what Cersei's doing here. You know, she's sad over the death of her son and it's transforming into anger. And that's what she's using to motivate herself to go after Tyrion. So Oberyn and Cersei's paths here are not that dissimilar. You know, Oberyn's looking to avenge the death of his sister and his niece and his nephew, and Cersei's looking to avenge the death of her son. Mm-hmm. And those two are kind of in sync with each other in that conversation right there. And I'll be honest, I completely missed it. Kate, you're the man. Or, thank, or girl. Thank you. Well, man. What good is power if you can't thank protect you. the ones you love, guys? We've talked about Cersei and Oberyn there briefly. We've talked about Oberyn, uh, Cersei and Marjorie. Let's talk about Cersei and Tywin. Um, because in this scene, I felt Tywin opened up to Cersei more than he ever has before. Yes, very true. <laughs> it was a lot of transparency about the, the delicate situation that the Lannisters are in and exactly why they need to tie themselves to the Tyrells. Yeah, and that's huge. Obviously, the, all the bank stuff, which is totally going to – I feel like it's almost too obvious um, that it's coming in this season. But still, I mean, obviously, that's a big conversation. <laughs> Minus but, the preview for next week's episode. Uh, yeah, forget that. I still haven't okay. seen it yet. <laughs> all that aside, um, I think Mark Gaddis is going to be amazing on this show. But uh, sir, regarding Tywin, though, do you think it's just because one of his sons is in prison and the other son is – I don't want to say excommunicate. Even Cersei says that. She's like – um, she's like the only one he's got left almost. And it's not confrontational and he is confiding in her like he would one of his sons, but he doesn't have his sons anymore, like on his side. Yeah. It was a really weird scene. The more I've thought about it today, the more I feel like I don't understand Tywin's motivation because there's a motivation behind everything that Tywin does. He doesn't trust Cersei. He knows that she's crazy. He knows that she wants to kill Tyrion he doesn't necessarily agree that that's the right course of action or Tyrion would probably already be dead. But he also is is showing the side of him like, hey, we don't have any gold. 
we actually have only power um, and we need to supplement that power with gold or we're going to be SOL because everybody knows Casterly Rock is full of gold and guess what? We don't have any now. Um, so yeah, that was a really interesting scene and I am holding out to, to find out why Tywin would have confessed that. I don't think it was a, a, a like a soft spot for Cersei that did it. I think there's something no, else. I, I think that it's a setup just in general for Bravos and for the Iron Bank. We've heard it talked a lot about this season by a number of different characters. And I think even going to the scenes between Arya and the Hound, right? We got a call back to Bravos yet again in this episode with Sirio Farrell making mm. a an appearance uh, in memoriam. Uh, you know, <laughs> there you when, go. When Arya, Arya <laughs> talks about him with the Hound and... It was kind of a funny scene, but you could also tell that Arya was getting very, very upset and very frustrated. And that's why she tries to stab the hound in the stomach with needle, and it did absolutely no good. That was a very confident jab. I think it was way too, it was. too confident. <laughs> she, she was, I think she was pretty fired up. But uh, that actually led to one of my favorite lines of the show, which was the hound saying, Your friend's dead, and Marin Trant's not. Because Trant had armor and a big fucking sword. <laughs> yeah, he's training so her. He almost he without without agreeing to train her, without any mm-hmm. formal arrangement that he would train her. He and and he doesn't. He tries to pretend that he doesn't care about her. Um, he she's learning anyway. Mm-hmm. At the very least, just by him pushing her down, um, it's it's training for her. She will uh, he get her back up again. Face. He punches yeah. her right in the head. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's more than a push. I, I'm thinking about when she was naming the names and, and the stuff with the Iron Bank. I'm sure we're going to have more <laughs> more time to revisit on Friday because there's just so much to talk about. But uh, with her reading off the names and he was like, are you going to read off the names of every fucking person in Westeros or whatever? <laughs> I mean, can we just talk about the beautiful decision when they were making the episode to go? Okay, well, Arya's going to say the Hound with attitude. That'll be funny. Everyone's like, yeah, duh, that's good. That'll be good. But the shot of the Hound looking at her after that, the look on his face, Rory McCann really pulled that off very well. I I liked it. It said a lot. It didn't say, I'm scared of you. It didn't say, I'm not scared of you. It said, you said my name. Uh, You know what I mean? I liked it. It it just rounded the whole thing out. I think he was impressed. Maybe. I, I I think more than anything else, he was like, all right, kid, you got guts. You got balls on you. I still have to say the best the best reaction to her naming a name was Jack and Hagar, though. <laughs> One wishes to be unnamed. <laughs> Please unname me. That was pretty good. Freaking out. But uh, the Hound was just like, hey, look, is she going to do it tonight? No, probably not because she still needs me. I think that's what he was thinking in those wee hours of the night. He was a bit impressed, but I think at the same time he was also a bit disappointed because I, I think he feels like he's protected her in some way these last – you know, I don't a couple months, let's say, when they've been on the road together, and mm. there's a there's a different side to the hound. Yeah, he's this crazy killer for like I don't know what else to call Psycho him. Psycho killer. But, <laughs> yeah, it was interesting because I was reading an article in the New York Times about Game of Thrones. It's actually the article that was written about the Jamie Cersei rape and the raping of of Craster's daughters that took place last week um, when we were at Craster's Keep, um, but. They mentioned the fact of how characters from Game of Thrones, you know, especially there's no real good and evil. There, there's just sort of like everybody has different degrees, but how there's this ability to endear these characters to you, even though they're somewhat bad. I mean, there's no way to 
you know, kind of divided up. Like th these people are inherently bad people, but there's still something about it them that draws you to them and, and makes you sympathetic towards them. I feel like the Hound is one of those characters. Definitely. I mean, his relationship with Arya has been his saving grace for a long time because I mean, he was a different character in the first season. Yeah, I mean, he and now he's he's been protector protector of of both Sansa and now Arya. And, you know, I think that's more or less why we like him for all of his other faults. And it seems like he's becoming more comfortable with Arya, too. He's talked a little bit more in each of the last few episodes about the relationship he has with his brother. Yeah, he really went into it this this episode. Well, uh, speaking of pairs, we did talk about Arya and the Hound, but we should get over to Brienne and Pod, who had a series of scenes in this episode. And there was a flaming rabbit. There was. I was not. I was not into the Brienne and Pod scenes. And you guys know how much I love Brienne. And Pod. <laughs> What's your, wh how? Well, what? I thought the, the, it started out with Podrick like riding into a tree, like he didn't know how to use his mouse. You know, like that's <laughs> yeah. how you steer. Like, come on, Pod. I have. I expect a little more out of Pod. Right. And I also didn't like how Brienne was was kind of like holier than thou. She was. She really looked down her nose at Podrick. For, for no good reason. She was just, I guess she was just annoyed that he was there at all. But it seems like she does a really good job of sucking up to people who are highborn and not so good at like the, dealing with people who are lesser than, than she is, I suppose. Um, but I was just, their, their chemistry, she does grow some respect for him when he tells her that he murdered a Kingsguard. She's like, oh, okay, you kill people. That's pretty cool. But up until that point, it was just this bumbling, the, I don't know the like uh, like weird comedy stuff, and I was I wasn't. Into it. I I think it was just thrown in there so that it shows that she wasn't just automatically oh Pod you're the best ever, um so that she can grow to like him. I think that's kind of what this everybody knows that Pod's the best ever. Well, it makes I a know, lot of sense though because she probably understands where he came from at least, and in her mind, you know, he just got finished telling her she was like so what did you do for Tyrion and he said basically at the end of the day I poured a lot of wine like yeah. and I guess the 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 problem with it all is exactly what you said she didn't really give him the time of day to learn anything about him so she just she had all mm -hmm. these preconceived notions and judged him and I just think that once she realized that if she was nice and she opened up a little bit I mean she learned so much more about Podrick and then you know the shift did take place but I mean, a lot of it did fall on her shoulders for just being an ass at first. I wonder if we would even, if that would be, and this is this is a question I'm asking myself first and foremost, but I wonder if it would have bothered me if Brienne had been a male character, um, because we see this dynamic between male characters all the time where uh, an older, wiser male character is just a jerk to a, a younger oh, yeah. male or female character. Arya and the Hound is a really good example. It's funny when the Hound is a, is a dick to Arya. But it's not funny when Brienne is a dick to Pod. I don't know. It's that that's an interesting like why am I am I expecting that she should be nice just simply because she's a woman? I don't know. I just, I just think it's because I love Pod. I think that we expect Brienne to know better. We know that she's an intelligent person, and we've seen her in a mix of different emotional situations in the show. And I just think that we expect more from her. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent with that, Zach. I think that we do expect more of her, and. The fact that she was kind of looking down her nose at Pod, I I think it's probably more so that she just doesn't want Pod there, and she didn't want to leave. Yeah. She's just a very independent person, and I think that she views her commitment to Catelyn um, as being hers and hers alone. And she's also being saddled with Pod, and 
she may not necessarily like Tyrion and like the things that he's done in the past. You know, she she knows a lot of the history that's gone on, and we know Tyrion's not really a bad guy, but we're not really sure how much she's been informed about him. And so to have his squire, who mm-hmm. seems like, you know, he's not very competent. Riding a horse into a tree. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, but I think Pod... <laughs> is going to grow on Brienne. He cooked sure the does. rabbit with the first along. Yeah, look, I was skeptical about the whole Pod and Brienne side story thing in the recent episodes because I just don't care all that much for Pod. And I've said this before. He's I don't what he's got a nice smile. I'll give him that. Um, <laughs> but beyond that, he really hasn't. Besides saving Tyrion's life, he's kind of just a Tyrion side character. He belongs in Tyrion's the back of the room whenever Tyrion's having a scene. And now it's going to be that way for for Brienne. But more pressing than my dislike for Brienne and Pod altogether was the fact that Brienne is looking in the wrong place for Sansa. Um, oh my god, that bothered me so much. Why is she going all the way to the north? When you look at a map of Westeros, the Eyrie is like right there. They don't east. have the maps that we have of Westeros, <sighs> I don't think. Yeah, apparently. But that's the thing is, you were right, Kate, in a recent episode, you said, oh, she she would probably go for the next of kin or the, next, the family member, like the closest surviving relative, which right. we said is Liza. But she's actually looking for John, who's almost half a relative, technically. I was very disappointed. I was like, come on, Brienne. So it's the right idea. It's the right idea, but the wrong person. And we just don't need any more people at the wall, is what I want to say. Like, <laughs> get away. Get, get away, away from the from wall. The wall. <laughs> the wall is the new King's Landing. Freaking everybody's going to be there. No, but Eric's right. The wall, I've, I've kind of had it. It's just, it's I white. Love There's Brienne, people wearing up. black. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right fine you know what i will give it another shot i'll watch the episode again and try not to be daniel portman's grimace that turned into a smile once brian asked him to help with the armor i was just pod you are the most loyal squire this show's ever filmed do you guys watch downton abbey not yet. There is a scene where a a butler is being rebuffed by someone who doesn't want his himself to be dressed by the by the butler. Whoa! And spoiler. Then I know, I know. It's <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty crazy. It's off the chain. But then the highborn guy decides that he does be just be, to give this guy uh, something to do because that's his job, and he looks so heartbroken. And so he's like, sure, you can come dress me. And the guy just lights up. His face totally lights up. It's exactly the same moment. It's like Mr. Deeds. I'm going to start a, a Downton Heavy podcast. You guys are not invited. Good luck with that. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> I have a question about Danny um, that I wanted to bring up to Micah and Kate who have read um, the books. Because, Micah, I think you alluded to or said outright that the siege of Marine takes a little bit longer in the books. So now having to go back to Yunkai or Astapor, the fact that they basically threw in in this episode that those governments, the council she installed uh, has fallen and that slaves are have been retaken by their masters. And she's got all of this kind of work to do now in kind of keeping the kingdom that, that she has so far. Um, so it, it, do you think – is that – my question is, is that the, the show's way of keeping her busy indefinitely? Um, in, in those parts because it's it's obviously too soon for her to, to come over to Westeros. I don't know if we can comfortably answer I that I mean, question. because it's a spoiler or what? Like, my only <laughs> my question is, did, did it really take forever to siege Marine in the books? It took a long time. 
Yeah. He, so George R. R. Martin, I remember when he was writing this book, he referred to this section as the Miranese knot. And this is what he kept referring to week after week after week when he would post about, ah, oh, I've, I've got this Miranese knot. I'm trying to untangle it. Um, and so I think that that not only was a pain in the butt for him to write, it took forever and a bunch of different people all came to Marine and they had to be untangled. But anyway, all that to say, I don't Sounds really hot. think that there's much we can say without spoiling stuff. Okay, Maybe Micah can. Seeing as how no. she is now having trouble, though, keeping these. No, but I think that's to be expected, though. I, I, I think that you, know, you can't just move from one city to another and you know, just kind of leave a trail in your wake and hope that everything is just going to be okay. I think that you know mm-hmm. we don't necessarily know exactly and and, and this is probably not true cuz i know sir jora goes through you know who she's put into power in these different cities and how it's basically faltered but it doesn't seem like she left it in all that capable hands mm-hmm. and so now some of the others who you know were down have now risen back up and are not only have regained their power but are looking to take um some sort of recourse against her so she's in a different position than she thought she would be you know but it it shows her ignorance on some level you know she doesn't even take sir jorah's advice yet again when he offers it um she can't see that some of the things that she's doing aren't having the outcomes that she would like and i think it's it's not just ignorance but it's immaturity and she shows it quite a few times and you know her her line about I will rule, you know, mm-hmm. it just she whines. She's a whiner. She needs yeah, to I think shut she's, up. She's learning. She's a teenage girl, right? And she's learning a very valuable lesson. If she wants to rule Westeros, she certainly has to rule these cities capably. Well, you know, that actually somebody commented on that um, to me earlier. Like, obviously, they're aged up a little bit in the show, but in the books, uh, even more so you know, kind of a, uh, a young girl on a power trip is how Danny is seen by some readers um, who've read. And now it's just, well, I, I just saw this as the show's way of giving her or of giving themselves uh, the writers uh, like a blank, you know, canvas to just keep her there indefinitely mm-hmm. until the rest of the plot elsewhere catches up to when it's time for her to come over. Cause they said she basically has the men to do it. You know, they said she basically has like the men and she's got the ships. Thanks, Dario. You know, no thanks to you, friend zone, meaning Jora. Um, but really like she, they have to keep her there because it's not time for her to come over yet. So they have these problems where cities she's already been to are revolting and she's got to spend a couple episodes kind of figuring out how best to deal with that. It's a learning experience for her, but that way her plot isn't so accelerated. Like as if they were pulling from future books, now they can just stop. They probably could have drawn out her getting to Marine and her taking the city for a little bit longer. Without getting spoiled, hey, I'm glad that you guys answered that question, so thank you. We tried. You're welcome. Kate did a better job. As always. Uh-huh. So <laughs> the higher plane of existence, that higher level that we're talking about. So uh, listeners may shit. notice that we have been leaving a crucial series of scenes out of our discussion. Actually, we've just been occupied by other discussions, but that is because we would like to devote the full and ample uh, required amount of time to discussing Craster's Keep and all of the wonderful things that have happened there in this episode on our Friday uh, end of the week recap kind of prehash episode. It's a good sign, Eric, when 
there is so much to talk about that we can't fit into a Monday episode. It's a good sign. Yeah. Not just one it's thing, a very good a sign. Things. Very cool. And I think um, the other big thing that we'll be sure to include on Friday's episode are all of your owns um, from Twitter, from Facebook, from email, from Wick, all of those places. Uh, we will make sure to read what you felt was the some of the best moments, funniest, sarcastic, however you constitute an own, we will read it on Friday's episode. But the one thing we do need to do before we wrap up this show. <laughs> Mo, I try it again. <laughs> you made me clear yeah, my I throat. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed, Micah, Zach now clears your throat for you. It's yeah. like a brand Hodor relationship. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> one thing we do need to do before we wrap up this episode is we need to give our own. Oh, gosh. I was just in my mind thinking, are we going to do a two-parter and do owns on Friday? But if we had an ownless episode, something would be wrong, right? That's okay. right. We have to have yeah, some. Yeah, we gotta. Um, okay, I'll do mine. Um, I've been waiting on this. Uh, the My honorary mention, uh, which we sometimes do, goes to the swearing-in ceremony for Tommen because there were 100% less coffee cups present at that ceremony than there were at the previous ceremony we saw. Um, people on social media may know what I'm talking about. There was a little bit of a mix-up with a coffee cup in the last one during the wedding, but uh, my actual own goes to... Liza Aaron for owning the mountains surrounding the Erie. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Pretty sure everybody within a hundred clicks heard that. So go her for the emotional range oh, and the vocal range. I thought you meant for like being the boss of the mountain. No, <laughs> oh. no. I mean, for, for the vocal and emotional range of that Liza Aaron displayed in this episode. There, I did it. It wasn't as sexual that time. Okay, there you go. All right. That's that's my own. I don't know if I can follow that up. Let's see. What can I come up with? Uh, Yikes. <laughs> no, I'm actually going to give my own to Danny, who's uh, doing a little bit of self-analysis. And I think it's appropriate since we just uh, finished talking about her. And she asked the question, how can I rule seven kingdoms if I can't control Slaver's Bay? That's, a good question. that's what we've all been saying for the last four fucking <laughs> wow i'm on your side danny uh my it. own goes to peter baelish for owning the entirety of game of thrones period. too easy mic drop <laughs> you gotta say it somebody has to say it i'm done that's it yeah she dropped the mic drop oh, yeah i dropped i dropped the mic yeah, done oh well, yeah kate yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I haven't picked out an own particularly yet because there are so many. I got, I got one for you. All right, try one. Tywin saying that uh, King Rob used to pat him on the back a lot. That was my own! <laughs> Holy shit! I didn't like your husband. He used to pat me on the back a lot. <laughs> That's why I forgot it. I didn't trust him. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, I just got too excited for that. I mean, we're all laughing. This is a This is a strange episode of our show because we're not reading your owns. And we talked about a whole lot, and we left out, mo I mean, tons of the episode. There's so much more to talk about, but luckily we have that other episode later on in the week. But I don't know why I'm talking about that stuff. I'm just explaining why it's weird. Okay, listen, Tywin talking about Robert was cool. That's it. That's my own. Can someone else? That's, that's yes. Oh, I'm done. We, we've exhausted all of our ability to think at this point. So if only Brad could swoop I mean, in I'm and take my over. voice, apparently. Yeah. Um, which is never a good sign. I'm going to drink some water for you, buddy. I have to get some more of those margaritas for Cinco de Mayo. We got the lemons. 
Yeah, the lemons. Some we lemon even have cakes. lemons. They should just hand out lemons at the next Game of Thrones public party that HBO hosts and be like, these are some leftover lemons because uh, Baelish got three crates of them sent to the area. Baelish hands you lemons, you... <laughs> <laughs> you, you make lemon cakes. So um, that's it, people. We've uh, made a strange episode, but it is halfway through the season. I meant to say through there, but I didn't. So halfway through the season and... Uh, we're allowed to make at least one weird one. It happens. Yeah. So just a reminder that on Friday's episode, we will uh, talk a lot about Bran and Hodor and all the shit that went down at Craster's. And uh, we will be taking and reading all of your owns that have uh, come into Twitter and Facebook and any other way you could possibly reach us. You can <laughs> even send us some you know, snail mail. We do read that, but... I don't know where you're going to send it because we don't even have a P.O. box or anything. All right. It's late. Mike is tired. We're all here. Eric's here. He's still here. I'm still here to remind you where you can get in touch with us. Yes. Your first stop for sending us owns is on Twitter. It's the fastest. It's the quickest. You can just tweet, tweet, tweet. Um, Please do that. Right away. At Game of Owns uh-huh. on Twitter. You could alternately scrawl upon our wall, leave your presence, and uh, winged glass doves or crows or... What did you say it was? Bird? Uh, Falcon. Definitely a bird. Falcon? Falcon. What? Falcon. Falcon. Leave glass falcons for us over the on our wall. House Aaron. Ooh. Yes. Um, Take the Facebook hint, da- face- Facebook.com slash Game of Owns. Or you can write us a longer format uh, comment or concern or own anytime via our email address. Yes, the inbox still works. Hasn't changed addresses or anything like that. Contact at GameOfOwns.com. Same as it's always been. First of its name, contact at GameOfOwns. Also iTunes. It's a thing, yeah. and it's the month. 